right, here's a couple other ones. The capital of Italy was constructed over a long period of time. Right, exactly. Rome wasn't built in a day. That's good. Um, just because you aren't punctual doesn't mean you should quit. Oh, did we do that already? Yeah, we did that already. All right. Um, if you never try to do anything, you'll never get anything done. Nothing ventured, nothing gained. All right. Uh, well, hey, you can learn a lot about a person simply by asking them questions. For example, if you uh, go to like a young uh, student, middle school, high school, why do you go to school? Um, well, I, to get an education. Okay, then what? Well, then I guess I'll graduate. Great, then what? Uh, I'll go to college. Then what? Well, m maybe I'll meet someone and get married. Then what? Well, I get a job and support a family. Great, then what? Well, then uh, I guess I retire. Okay, then what? Uh, then I guess I die great and then what and then I go to heaven and just ask a question but you can understand a lot simply by asking a question like that um, what's in other words what is the purpose for your life and simply by answering those questions you can determine what someone is living for are they just living so I could be happy and make money and then eventually retire and die and go to heaven what is the purpose for living? And I think uh, the book of Proverbs, as well as the rest of Scripture, but the book of Proverbs gives us uh, a pathway. It, it teaches us how to live. Teach, it teaches us what our purpose is in this earth. For example, um, after King David died, Solomon, his son, inherited the throne uh, to reign over Israel. And King Solomon Instinctively, he knew and understood his purpose for which he was alive. We read in 1 Kings, <clears throat> Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David. But I'm only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who's able to govern this great people of yours? There is his purpose. Even as a young kid, Solomon understood that his purpose was to govern the people wisely. And the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. He asked for a discerning heart, for wisdom. So God said to him, since you have asked for this and not for a long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment and administering justice, I will do what you've asked. I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never, uh, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. Moreover, I will give you what you have asked for, both wealth and honor, so in your lifetime, you'll have no equal among kings. And as a pastor, I feel that, I feel compelled to pray for wisdom right now. <laughs> I pray for that often. I haven't gotten the wealth, though, that, um, 
First Kings 4, um, 30. Solomon's wisdom was indeed greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of Egypt. He was wiser than anyone else. In fact, King Solomon's wisdom exceeded all of the expectations that other world leaders had heard about him. And when they came to visit him, such as the Queen of Sheba, we read later that she was stunned by his wisdom. We read in chapter 10, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people you must be must be. So Solomon was perhaps the wisest person who had ever lived because of God's gift given to him. Wiser than Descartes, Descartes, who believed to do is to be. Solomon was wiser than Voltaire, who espoused to be is to be. Solomon was wiser than Frank Sinatra, who espoused doobie, doobie, do, be. He was wiser than Yogi Bear, who said what? Yabba dabba doobie, doobie, do. All right. God's purpose for Solomon was there indeed to lead his people and govern God's people so that his people, his nation, would honor the one true God of Israel and therefore represent this one true God to the world in a positive and um, legitimate way. And then Solomon, of course, was used to build the temple in Jerusalem so that people would come from all around the world to worship the one true God of Israel. And one of Solomon's strategies in his leadership was to teach his people how to live practically, live according to God's word. And therefore, God inspired Solomon to pen the words, most of the Proverbs that we read in the book of Proverbs, among other books. And these inspired Proverbs, he would author over 3,000 Proverbs directly from God through his creativity to Solomon. And he authored 1,005 songs for people to sing. And I think back to my fifth grade year when I wrote a poem about my aspiration to go to the moon. I got my picture on the wall. That's the only thing creative that I'd ever written. Proverbs 1.1 then, we read in this. This was interesting, wasn't it, to read without chapters and verses? I I thought it read really uh, well and, and, and it was very rich reading through the Proverbs, through the immersed Bible. So Psalm Proverbs 1.1, the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight. Okay, this is how you gain wisdom, people. This is how you live for God. I'm about to tell you, read my Proverbs. Uh, Solomon's Proverbs were given to us as well, not just to his people, the people of Israel, um, so that we could live according to to the way God would have us live and represent God accurately to the world. So how do we become wise and therefore represent God effectively to the world? How do we live according to our purpose? Uh, The outline will be, where's the source of wisdom? And then where's the purpose? What's the purpose of wisdom? And what's the pathway to wisdom? So what is the source of wisdom? 
if we're to live according to our purpose that God has designed for us, we need to look to the right source, obviously. And the true source of all wisdom is God and God alone. We read in Proverbs 2.6, uh, For the Lord gives wisdom. He's the source of wisdom. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Chapter 9, verse 10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So to, to fear the Lord, you know this. Uh, the word fear doesn't mean I quake and shake in front of God, but it means a reverence, to revere the Lord, to respect him, to trust in him. And we read the uh, famous proverb that we know by heart, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. This is what it means to fear the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Now, many of us can be born with great intelligence, but live in our entire lives as fools. Like the young man who received his degree from college, he rushed out and he announced to the world, here I am, world, I have my AB degree. The world responded, sit down, son, and I'll teach you the rest of the alphabet. By the way, what does AB mean? It's a Bachelor of Arts, but it's a Latin word, right? I don't know what it means either, but baccalaureate is, is the B. Um, wisdom is the application of knowledge. We can be incredibly intelligent, but not have wisdom. James 3 contrasts earthly wisdom, in quotation marks, with true wisdom from God. Earthly or worldly wisdom is full of arrogance, um, self-ambition, um, self-reliance we're told in James. And godly wisdom is, first of all, pure and peace-loving and considerate, submissive, and it bears all kinds of good fruit. Here's an, an example of earthly wisdom. There was a guy who was caught speeding in an automated speed trap. Have you ever been through one of those and received in the mail uh, some weeks later or days later a picture of your car and the speed and with a citation, right? And so this ticket was mailed to this guy with a $120 ticket. And so priding himself in the, his great worldly wisdom, this man sent the police department a photograph of $120. Several days later, he received another letter from the police department, and it was a picture of handcuffs. So worldly wisdom will serve us to some degree, but Ultimately, it won't. Um, Proverbs 3, Do not be wise in your own eyes, Solomon writes, but fear the Lord and shun evil. 28.26, Those who trust in themselves are fools, but those who walk in wisdom are kept safe. God is the source of all wisdom. Solomon was given great wisdom. Well, what was the purpose of this wisdom? Uh, again, to glorify God, to represent him to the world, uh, a life marked by serving God and others rather than serving self. That's what true wisdom does. It glorifies God by serving others. Solomon was given great wisdom at the beginning of his reign as the king of Israel, but over time, his life began to turn inwardly. He began to look to himself, and as a result, he became more and more foolish as time went on and self-serving. 
This was evidenced by Solomon's ever-growing lust for wealth and power and pleasure. He sought his own glory above the glory of the one true God. Solomon ignored God's clear commands given to him when God met with him and spoke to him clearly two separate times to refrain from marrying foreign women because these foreign women would lead you astray to worship foreign, their foreign gods. Well, Solomon completely um, neglected that command and he began to mar marry foreign women. We read in 1 Kings 11, as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other detestable gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David was his father had done. Now, Solomon had, what, 700 wives and 300 concubines, I think? Um, that's incredible. And yet he, he wrote Song of Songs, maybe? Which blows, it must have been before the 700 wives. And uh, Proverbs 17, uh, Pro, uh, Solomon writes, A discerning person keeps wisdom in view, but a fool's eyes wander to the ends of the earth. What does that mean? A discerning person keeps wisdom in view. Doesn't it mean that discerning people look for ways to honor God, but fools, they're always dreaming about faraway places, like the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. I'm never content right here with what I have, what I know. I, 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 need, I need more and more and more, a continual lust for more. C.S. Lewis wrote, Human history is the long, terrible story of a man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. It's the pursuit of all these idols, and this is what happened to Solomon, the wisest person who had ever lived. We read in 1 Kings 11 that the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away from the Lord, the God of Israel. I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one of your subordinates. And that's what happened. The kingdom of Israel was divided, north and south, and they became, began, became at war with one another. And you know the story. Solomon would eventually reap what he had sown. This wisest king who began with strength and wisdom would end his life in weakness and foolishness. And if this can happen to Solomon, I thought to myself, self, this could happen to you. I, I feel very blessed by God. He's blessed me with incredible family and incredible um, calling in my life, uh, incredible history. And yet this, this same thing can happen to me when my life turns inwardly, when I begin to look at myself and my own glory above God's glory. And it's so subtle because Satan turns us so incrementally, just one little notch or degree every day that we neglect God and his wisdom, his word, his glory. And then before we know it, we are totally turned around in the opposite direction, 180 degrees, and we're not even aware of it. It feels so normal to us. This is exactly what happened to Solomon. Well, how do we know if we're fulfilling our purpose in glorifying God? How do we know that we're living wisely and not as Solomon uh, became deceived in? Knowledge must be applied if it's going to be wisdom. Proverbs 2, 
Pay attention and turn your ear to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach. And what will be the result? Then you will understand what is right and just and fair in every good path. Apply your knowledge. Wisdom is applied knowledge. Klein Snodgrass, one of our professors, wrote in one of his books, he said, once the devil was walking along with one of his cohorts, they saw a man ahead of them pick something up that was shiny. What did he find, asked the cohort. Well, a piece of truth, the devil replied. Doesn't it bother you that he found a piece of the truth, asked the cohort. No, said the devil. I'll see to it that he makes a religion out of it. That's that's interesting. We can make a religion even out of the truth. We need to apply our knowledge if it's to be wisdom. Wise people will serve others. Wise people will serve others. They will apply the knowledge in service to others. Solomon served Israel well in the beginning of his reign. He was an amazing king. We read in James 3, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. In James 3.17, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure, peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of good fruit, impartial, and sincere. Wisdom will be applied in how we serve others. Sometimes our pursuit of knowledge, though, can be self-serving. Churches can have the reputation of being uh, people of the word. They can have a reputation of knowing the truth and, and be respected in that way and yet neglect serving others in need because they're so focused on Bible studies or on their worship services. They make little difference in the community. Wise parents will teach their children to serve as well. Um, You know, serving God is built within the DNA of countryside. Lynn and I inherited this position, um, being able to serve here, and very privileged because we came to an already serving church. Not just a church who was very intent on studying God's word, but a church that was serving in many ways. And since we've been here, there have been many more ministries that have been established from the grassroots because people are serving here. I, I look at Amy, who leads the children's ministry, and she takes them on missions trips and service projects all the time. Same with Kelly in the student ministry. I think of Linda in the women's ministry, and she's always doing service projects, getting the women to serve. And I think of Lynn in the crescendo ministry, and same thing. How can we serve? How can we serve church members? How can we serve the kids? How can we serve the widows? How can we serve our community? I look at the men's ministry and how many of them lead youth and they serve in our communities in many different ministries like like, uh, the food bank, Tom, or like um, Reuse It Center. We have people who serve here, which is a display of wisdom. Proverbs 24 By wisdom a house is built, and through understanding it is established. This not only applies to the church family, but it applies to our nuclear family as well. I observe many 
parents at Countryside who not only are serving either inside the walls of the church or outside, but I also see parents who encourage their kids to serve alongside them. And this is what our parents did when we were young. They were serving all the time in church. And so, and they made sure that we went alongside. Lynn often went to nursing homes, she says, and, and I often went to all these inner city ministries with my dad and coffee houses, and I was raised in a home of ministry and service. And as a result, Lynn and I have a love for the Church of Christ, and we have a love for people in the church. Wise people will serve others. And then secondly, wise people will encourage others. Proverbs has a lot to say about the tongue. We can know a lot about a person simply by listening to them, as I mentioned, listening to the words. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And we read in Proverbs 12, 18, the words of a reckless, of the reckless pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise person will bring healing. 18.4, the words of a mouth are deep waters. The fountain of wisdom is a rushing stream. It offers encouragement and life-giving words to others. We can distinguish how foolish or wise a person is simply by how they speak to others. And as we do a self-assessment right here, right now, do we tend to be more critical and demeaning of others when we don't agree with them? Or do we exude graciousness and encouragement? Do we fixate on negative things in others? Or do we see the positive in others? What's our default? That will tell us whether we're on the path toward wisdom or foolishness. An example of a foolish attitude would be when others don't do something, they're lazy, we think. When I don't do something, I'm busy. When other people take a long time to do something, they're slow. When I take a long time, I'm thorough. When other people succeed, they're lucky. When I succeed, well, I deserve it. Wise people are encouraging, and they see the positive in others. And then thirdly, wise people listen to others. They're listeners. Solomon tells us in uh, 17... He says, the one who has knowledge uses words with restraint. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent and discerning if they hold their tongues. 18.2, fools find no pleasure in understanding but delight in airing their own opinions. Man, this is one I have to work on. For those who are teachers here or in the church or in the school, we have... We have a temptation to want to be sharing our opinions all the time rather than listening, you know? We should have had two mouths and one big ear, but God has given us two ears to listen with. So wise people listen to others, and then thirdly, wise people respond patiently to others. They respond patiently to others. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A person's wisdom yields patience. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense or offense. And then 12:16, fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. Wise people will respond humbly and patiently to others when their feathers are ruffled. 
For example, Abraham Lincoln, who was a devout Christian, he respected others and responded patiently. He was wanting to please uh, one on his cabinet, <clears throat> and so Lincoln issued a command to transfer certain regiments. He wanted to please, so he made this decision. And when the Secretary of War, Edwin Stanton, heard about this, he refused to carry it out, saying, the president is a fool. He's a fool for wanting to transfer these regiments. When Lincoln was told this, he replied, if Stanton said I'm a fool, then I must be. For his is nearly always right. I'll see for myself. That's how Lincoln responded, which was typical of who he was. As the two men talked together later on, the president quickly realized that his decision was a serious mistake, and without hesitation, he withdrew the order. Humility and, and patience. And then finally, just quickly, how, what is the pathway then to wisdom, the pathway? Well, we need to ask for wisdom, as Solomon did, and God said, he would give it to us. Proverbs 1, open, out, out in the open, wisdom calls aloud. She raises her voice in the public square. I don't know why that's in there, other, other than to say wisdom is readily available. Even in the public squares, in the downtown streets, wisdom, God's wisdom is accessible and available, but we need to ask for it. As James 1.5 says, if any one of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to him God's wisdom is readily available secondly we need to search for God's wisdom not just ask for it once but we need to search for it Proverbs 2 my son if you accept my words and store up my commands within you and if you look for it as for silver and search for it as for a hidden treasure then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Now, if someone were to tell me that there's a hidden treasure in my backyard and they were to hand me a map, then I would certainly look for it. We all would. We'd make it a priority. And yet, we have a hidden treasure on our bookshelves and we can't allow it to collect dust. Uh, Proverbs 8.10, "'Choose my instruction instead of silver.'" Knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is more precious than rubies, and nothing you desire can compare with her. We need to search for God's word. And then finally, as we already mentioned, we need to, or thirdly, we need to apply God's word. Wisdom is knowledge that is applied in love. My son, if you accept my words, store up your commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, then you'll understand what is right and just and fair, every good path. We need to apply God's word. The Pharisees had a lot of knowledge. They were professional students of the Torah, of God's word. They, could, they memorized that even as kids. That's why they were able to be Pharisees. And yet, so does the devil. The devil knows God's word. Yet the Pharisees and the devil never sought to apply it to their lives in ways that would define wisdom, like listening to others, serving others, encouraging others. Finally, um, the pathway to wisdom is 
we have to always remain teachable. Always remain. I love the fact that we have adult Christian formation here. I think six or seven classes, um, oftentimes, and and many adults are always, always learning. They don't have this attitude. Hey, you know, I used to go to Sunday school and throw the kids in Sunday school and go have coffee. You know, I love the fact that this church is always wanting to grow. The people here want to learn and want to dig deeper into God's word. I love the fact that we have a lot of Bible studies and discipleship groups and life groups and because um, we're remaining teachable. Proverbs 1.5, let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. 3.7, do not be wise in your own eyes, but continue to fear the Lord. Proverbs 9, instruct the wise and they will be wiser still. Teach the righteous and they will add to their learning. Just want to conclude with a story that I read this past week. Dave Boswell tells a story about Earl Weaver, who was a former manager of the Baltimore Orioles. And Weaver um, was managing Reggie Jackson on one of his three teams and with it, when he was with the Orioles. Weaver had a rule that no one could steal a base unless they were given a certain sign, which really upset Reggie Jackson. I believe this would have been his third team. He was an experienced professional baseball player. Reggie Jackson felt that he knew the pitchers and catchers well enough to make a judgment for himself whether he could steal or not. So one game, Reggie Jackson decided to steal second or first to get, go to second. He got a good jump on the pitcher and eventually beat the throw and easily beat the throw to second base. And as he stood up and shook the dirt off of his uniform, Jackson smiled with delight, feeling that he had vindicated his judgment to his manager. Later, when Earl Weaver called him aside, he explained to Reggie Jackson why he hadn't given him a steal signal. He said, first... The next batter was Lee May, his best power hitter other than Reggie Jackson. And when Jackson stole second, first base was left open. Therefore, the pitcher would intentionally walk the best hitter on the team. So May went to first base, taking the bat out of his hands. Secondly, Weaver said the following batter hadn't been that strong against this particular pitcher. So Weaver felt that he had to send up a pinch hitter to try to drive the men on base into home, which left Weaver without a bench strength later on in the game when he really needed it. See, Jackson, I understand the bigger picture here. I see the entire game. You just saw this one play, whether I could steal and make it to second base. Well, we too only see so far, but God sees the bigger picture. And when he sends us a signal, it's wise for us to obey him no matter what we may think we know. We need to always remain teachable. Just as Lynn prayed today, we need to be listening to the voice of God and he will speak to us. He will provide his wisdom to us. Solomon was given wisdom to serve God and his people. Unfortunately, it didn't last his entire life. He ultimately became a fool. How can we assure ourselves that we'll remain wise?
when we need to go to the source, God alone is the source of our wisdom. We need to understand our purpose. Our purpose is to glorify God. And truly wise people will serve others. They will encourage others. They will listen to others. And they'll respond patiently to others when there's disagreement. And then, of course, we can all become wise. It's readily accessible. It is screaming to us in the public spaces. We can ask the Lord for it. We can search the scriptures. We can apply what we learn to the things above, to number two, and we can remain teachable all of our lives. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we thank you for this very practical book of wisdom. We thank you, Lord, for the 31 chapters in the book of Proverbs. We can read a chapter every day and be filled with your wisdom on a regular basis. Lord Jesus, make us wise people, not just knowledgeable people, not just intelligent people. Make us people who are wise and in so doing bring glory to your name and represent you accurately, positively to a lost and hopeless world. Thank you, Lord, for the privilege to serve this church. Thank you, Lord, that we love you, we serve together, we study together, and we grow together. In Christ's name, amen.